0: And now your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you, and the truth that is Hi, and welcome to
1: Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host, along with Dr. Tim Hayes. Thank you, Dr. Tim, for filling in for us yesterday. We welcome you to the show. Today is... Well, what is today? Look at my calendar here. Today is Tuesday, February the 2nd, 2016. It's the second day of Air Intensive. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael.
2: Thank you, dear heart. And welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're with us for another session of Mind Shifters Radio and our project to bring you forward to every mind, heart, and being on the planet, the first century Aramaic understanding of forgiveness. And as Jeannie says, we're in the second day of our intensive, and yet the depth that we're at already, you know, it's like one of the signals we know critical mass is happening because uh, the, the level of processing that's happening, I mean, we just had an hour session last night and a couple hours this morning and we're already at, I don't know what, what 20 years ago in an intensive would have taken us eight days to comprehend and move to. It's just obvious for everybody and all kinds of process stuff happening and we haven't even gotten to the to the wake-up sheet yet. So it's pretty cool to watch the energy and the, uh, the level of comprehension and, and willingness in the group that we've got. It's just awesome. We are here in Orlando, Florida, Nice sunny day, it's about 70, probably 75 out there today and uh, gorgeous sunshine, a few nice white puffy clouds and a blue sky and if you are ready to, uh, to get away from winter for a little bit, we still do have a couple of spaces in Laws of Living which will start on the 18th. And or actually, if you want to come even earlier, we will complete the uh, the nine day uh, uh, codependence to interdependence, and then that nine day will carry on for an additional uh, seven days, so it ends up being a sixteen day workshop. And we do have space once the nine days complete. There are a couple of folks who are doing just the nine days who so will then head home, and so we do have some space for somebody who wants to come and catch some of the codependence communication practicum and move into laws of living. So. If you're ready to get out of winter for a while, we've got an awesome space here in uh, in Orlando, a big, beautiful seven-bedroom house that is just uh, really nicely appointed. We've gotten some lots of support from our friends. Some folks showed up early and helped to get the sprouting uh, system set up and our tub uh, for ozonating vegetables and uh, cleaning them, and just uh, things are rocking along. The food so far has been awesome. In fact dinner was so uh, abundant last night, Ari just didn't. Ari and, and friends in the kitchen just didn't stop all day yesterday, and they prepared so much food that instead of starting into the uh, the juice fasting uh, today, we're going to wait until tomorrow to do that. So things are rocking along. What is forgiveness? Well, you know we've said it over and over again, and you can't hear it too many times because your culture is going to pound into you that forgiveness is what it is not your culture has taught you that forgiveness is about how if you've got pain happening inside of you of course it must be somebody else's fault and all you have to do is be big about it and let them off of the hook for the pain that your physiology is producing and then things will get better which of course is a ludicrous solution it's interesting that at least as far as I know, pretty much the whole world. I mean, even in the Spanish language, the word forgive does not relate to forgiveness at all. The word is pardon. It's pardoning. You know, we've been taught to pardon others. And, and certainly, people do some pretty bizarre behavior. But their behavior is not the cause of what's happening inside of us. So we may choose, if somebody does some bizarre behavior, to pardon them. That's a nice thing to do. But when you call that forgiveness, you're in trouble because... When you call that forgiveness, then you think that once you pardon them, that you've done your forgiveness work, and you have not yet scratched the surface of forgiveness. I'll often hear from people who say, "See, Michael, you know, I heard you're doing that. Why is this happening to me again? Workshop on forgiveness again, uh, you know, next Sunday. But I, I don't need to be there because I've already forgiven everybody. You know, my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, my kids, my parents, my employer. You know, my former spouse, my present spouse, I've even forgiven my future spouses. <laughs> and when somebody's languaging that, if you hear people talking about how they forgave someone or forgave themselves, here's what you know. They haven't done any forgiveness work yet. Because forgiveness means remove. And unless you actually engage in removal, you know, everybody's heard the alcoholic that says, you know, oh, they they got drunk and they did some bizarre, outrageous behavior. When they woke up and realized what they'd done, they were so pitifully sorrowful and how terrible it was and I'm so sorry and I'll never do that again and and you can see the sincerity in them but when the stress is up and the chips are down, if they never learn to remove that, they're going to do it again that's all, it's just the way it is if that's the behavior that's there and their personal code calls for that behavior in a certain set of circumstances without the tools for removing that the prompt for that behavior then The next time the stress is up and the chips are down, they're going to do that behavior. And they'll be sorrowful and proclaim how they'll never do it again. Don't believe a word of it. It's just not true. You can't stop a behavior. Pardon me. I, I guess I shouldn't say you can't because theoretically at least you could, but rare is the person who can stop a behavior that's ingrained to come up when they're under stress. And yes, some people might be able to stop it, but, Stopping it is a whole different thing than forgiving it. Remember, a couple of years ago, we were in South Florida, and there was a gentleman who ran a rather large um, AA site, and he'd been sober for 30 years, and he was quite proud of the fact that, you know, he had done his work and he was sober. And he came actually to our the intensive we're doing now, the codependence to interdependence, and I explained the power person dynamic and how when one is under stress ultra-stressed. Stress is up and the chips are down. They'll do the behavior that their power person did to them that they hated the most. And he said, well, you know, now I know that your work is full of holes because that's just not true. My father was terribly, terribly abusive. Beat me, beat me, beat me all the time. And I never raised my hand to my son. And he was quite, you know, kind of dug in and, this is the way it is. It's just not true. And, you know, he was pretty solid in that position Uh, two minutes later i could have taken a feather and bowled him over because uh, i acknowledged him of course first of all for the fact that he had the the strength of character to say i'm not going to do that to my son but then the next question was so here you are you've been sober for 30 years how much time do you spend still having to control your fists it's like oh my god Every day I still have to do that. It's like, well, the reason for that is because you've never removed the abusive behavior from your structure. The disease is still in your tissue structure. And unless you pick up and do your work, till the day you die, you'll be trying to control your fists. Engage in forgiveness, remove that behavior, and that same stressful situation can happen, and there'll be no call from your mind to do that behavior because you've removed it. So so first century Aramaic forgiveness is about removing what doesn't belong. It's not about letting other people off of the hook for what's there. And so our project is that of supporting you. And, of course, in supporting you, we get to learn. And the learning of first century Aramaic forgiveness and the carrying forward of it, I know I recognize in my own life that probably I wouldn't have continued to do this work if I had not made a commitment to teach it. And it's the teaching of it that has really served me well to keep engaging it in my life. I can easily see through watching other people who get it, who hear it, who are so excited about it, and they're just rah, rah, yay. But then when a major air comes up, they're gone. I don't want to have anything else to do with this. I was saying to someone in the class this morning that I've seen it take 10 years for somebody to come back and go, what was that you said? Tell me about that again. So the commitment to keep doing your work is a rare faculty that's only selected by a few people. And what we're looking to do as we spread this work around the globe, why we're here every day to support you is to cultivate in the world a core group of people who are willing to actually step in and do their work on a consistent, persistent daily basis over a period of years, decades, to create a critical mass of people who will actually choose to do what it takes to embody in their own physiology as a presence of love, so that no matter what happens, they function out of that state of love, and, and, and that means they function out of a human life. And we have an easy definition for human life. I like to remind us often, hold a newborn child. You know what a human is. If you don't have one of those, 24-7, 365, then you've got work to do. Welcome to the world. So we're honored that you're here to uh, lend an ear to the process, to use the tools and expand out this understanding that we could, in any and every circumstance, be living as the sweet, Active Presence of Love, 24-7-365. And Jeannie, do we have Dr. Tim with us today?
1: Well, if we do, he, his number showing through as that strange number. So Dr. Tim, if you're on there, if you'd hit one. 781 one or? No, he's not showing up, so he must not be with us. Nobody has a hand up and no questions in the chat room.
2: Well, here we are, wide open field. How can we support you? What's on your mind? Perhaps if there's anybody in the uh, intensive listening to the show, maybe there's something you'd like to share about what's happened so far and or questions that you have that uh, we can share with the whole community. That's one of the beauties of an intensive is some some deep questioning ability develops, and it's really the questions that are far more important than the answers. And uh, one of the blessings that, that I get as someone who engages with people all over the globe with these tools, is that I don't have to come up with all the questions. All I have to do, as Emerson said, is get my bloated nothingness out of the way, and the power that has all the answers will gladly give it to each and every one of us. The real thing is to have the life experience to develop the question so that you can call forward the answer. And so how can we support you? Our calling number, if you're on one of those stations that we can't see or you're in the chat room and uh, and you can't ask a question directly in the chat room, then if you just dial 646-200-4169, you'll be listening to us on your phone. And then if you push one, that will raise a hand in the phone queue. And I think we've got a caller. Jeannie?
1: No. I was just going to say put your microphone up.
2: Oh okay. I have put my microphone up. So how can we support you? What's on your mind? Okay, I'm going to be silent so we can hand up. No, I won't do that. We'll just carry forward with the with um, the tools and what we're about to uh, to share. Actually, in the intensive, we're getting ready to. Uh, one of the things we're going to cover is a communication practicum where we look at the difference between what I call projection communication and responsibility communication. So projection communication being the situation where my mind is creating its own reality. Remember that reality is something constructed by the mind. My mind creates its reality. It's internal to me, and I talk as though I speak as though my reality is accurate about you and that I'm describing you rather than something about me. And all but the most conscious person when they're describing what's going on in their head is really just describing what's going on in their heads and insisting that it must be true about someone other than themselves. And so shifting out of, and we call that projection communication, shifting out of projection communication into responsibility communication is part and parcel of what it is that we want to support and inspire people to put to work in their lives. So that's what we're here to support. That's what we're here to be part of. How can we askew in your process? What's on your mind? Tell us about an experience you've had with forgiveness. And in doing that, you'll be serving the whole community because as you share your experience, you open the space for others who perhaps have never conceived of applying the tools in the way that you've learned to apply them in their lives. And so it becomes a pretty awesome gift to share with others when you give that gift of, ah, here's how it worked for me. Here's what opened. Here's how I engaged in forgiveness. And of course the, Projection communication game starts out like this for most people. You made me. You made me mad. You made me sad. You made me afraid. You hurt me. You upset me. You disturbed me. Everything that's going on in my mind is all your fault. And, of course, everything that's going on in in your mind is nobody's fault. It's just your responsibility. It is your mind. What you are experiencing in your mind is what's going on in your mind. And when you tell the world that what's going on in your mind is caused by them, then you're living in a state of denial. Those who live in denial have to hide their creative process from themselves. And when we hide our creative process, we no longer are in control of our creative process, and we seem to be victims of the world, which leads to projection communication. It's kind of like a vicious cycle. I communicate in a projection fashion, and then my mind brings me someone who does to me exactly what I've told them they're supposed to do, and that is to attack me, to confront me, to do whatever it is. And I get stuck in that circle. We're looking to change the game. We're looking to change the circle. And when I can communicate in a way that reflects that I know that what's going on inside of me is mine, all of a sudden... My mind can show me the root of what I perhaps have spent my whole life and generations before me have spent their whole lives pretending it's caused by someone else. And when you start to see differently, the world just makes such an about face, such a shift. It's beyond comprehension of the normal mind. And so we're here to encourage and support. And by the way, if you haven't engaged in the forgiveness process yet, if you haven't taken that first century Aramaic tool and put it to work in your life, then we invite you to go to www.whyagain.org. And if you scroll down the page a little bit, you'll see a bullseye in the middle of the page. Click that bullseye, it opens a whole series of links. And that those links are just so rich, and there's so much understanding and information about a process that has been disappeared from the planet for 2,000 years and so at first, for most people it's kind of shocking and overwhelming so that it's difficult to stay conscious in the presence of it. As you do your work, it becomes easier and easier to stay conscious in the presence of your own unconscious. And as you do the work of forgiveness, what happens is you will access deeper and deeper parts of your own unconscious dynamics. Or in the, the, the language of the ancient scriptures, you'll enter into the desert. And as you enter into the desert, you remember that story about the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years. I mean, when you think about that one, how does a bright group of people like this get lost in a 30 square mile area for 40 years? That's ridiculous. What does that story mean? That story means that the average person stays lost in their generational patterns, their unconscious dynamics, for an average of about 40 years before they start to wake up and go, oh, maybe there's something different happening here. And then entering into first century Aramaic forgiveness, I start removing the things from inside of me that cause the pain that goes on inside of me the pain that I've pretty much always blamed everybody else for. And as I remove that pain, I get free of it. Getting free of it means I don't have to live there anymore. I can change the game. And that's what we're here to do, change the game. And Jeannie has a hand up, so let's say hello.
1: It's 417. You're on the air.
3: Hi, this is Magda calling from Missouri.
2: Hey, young lady. Welcome. Good to hear your voice.
3: Thank you, and you as well. Um, So so I'm calling just to report uh, an awareness that I have, which I'm almost embarrassed to share because it seems so obvious, and I just finally got this awareness yesterday and I've been doing the work for about seven years or something so it has to do with the final um goal at the end of the worksheet and I must say that generally that final goal brings me to a place of great peace and joy and happiness and um, and what I've been doing This is the embarrassment part. I think I have a worksheet to do on embarrassment is that um, I've just been leaving it there. Like, oh, I made the goal. Great. I'm all done. Um, Go on to the next worksheet or the next issue or whatever. And what I realized last night was, wait a minute, it's a goal. Goals have to be executed. In some cases, if it's a behavioral goal, I need to do something. To actually change the behavior, to do it differently, to step out of denial, Good job. and just like, oh really, I have to actually remember what my goal is and focus on on actually uh, executing the activating it in my behaviors. So that's my big aha, uh-huh. and maybe everyone else, you know, got that initially, and and I'm the only one, but maybe I'm not. <laughs> so I wanted to share it. And that's
2: it. Well, well, it's interesting that you say that because I, I can't tell you how many times over the years, for instance, we do an intensive and, you know, we do the personal code evaluation and give people assignments. And then at the end of the intensive, I mean, I don't know how many times that this happened, people will say, oh, you mean I was actually supposed to do those assignments? Yes, yeah, that's right. the idea. They're the, tools. They're the tools we're offering. You take the tools and use them. Oh, I didn't know that. And, yes. and it doesn't matter how many times it's said. It's, again, it's a matter of building the brain cells. So, right. yes, when I when I uh, set a new goal, then I, that goal is easily taken over by old goals that conflict with it. The reason I did the worksheet in the first place and so, getting conscious that this is something I'm going to follow through from, through, for, through on, and actually do, is certainly yes. a big piece of the puzzle, and and not necessarily natural.
3: Well, absolutely unnatural, I think, to the way we generally behave or have been taught to behave. You know, um, we operate out of our carbon-based memory and our reactionary. Um, behaviors and and so yeah we have we're reprogramming we're, we're getting rid of um, one behavior and substituting it with another yeah so I think it is it requires a bit of determination and the word commitment I guess that you know in the in the final goal well in one version at least it says I commit to doing blah 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 blah. And so I saw the word commitment like, Oh, I've made a commitment. That means I have to do something. So and the only reason this came up, of course, Michael, is because I was doing the same worksheet over and over on the same issue and wondering why nothing was changing. So <laughs> Yeah, so anyway I'm I'm laughing <laughs> and um and I'm very and I laugh pleased with you to have, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm pleased to have had this to have this awareness now. And well, so I just wanted to share that in case it has any benefit for anybody else.
2: I suspect it will have much benefit. And you know, in the ancient teachings and, and I think one of the reasons why that is such a big realization and such an important one, and thank you for sharing it, is you know, the ancient teachings talk about putting on the mind that was in Christ and you're literally taking off the old mind and putting on a new mind. And that's not an easy project. That's a, that's a significant piece of work. And, and of course they, when they speak about the mind that was in Christ, the word Christ being one who has an open channel directly to God to love that we're, we're putting on the mind of love. And if we have a, uh, a physiological system and a family history and a culture that honors and worships hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, and pain, putting on that new mind is not an easy project. It is something that takes full awareness and conscious commitment on an ongoing basis. So I I think that uh, having that insight on such a gut level is probably a really powerful, important thing. So nice work. Yes. Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, uh, I I
3: feel differently, um, you know, with this. I feel armed with with whatever I need to to actually make the changes in in my behavior toward myself that I want to.
2: Awesome. Very cool. Well, <laughs> so, I join you in the process, and and I acknowledge the integrity of your work, and you know how you dug in so deeply over the last seven years, and you know many people are like, well, I've got five bucks and five minutes. Tell me everything you know. And of course, the really important discoveries come as we really start doing our work and discover those things for ourselves. That's when they—that's when they really belong to us.
3: Right, as you said just a little minute ago, in the gut level, because yes. understanding that at an intellectual level, that's pretty easy. Uh, but it's when we understand it at the deepest level that uh it really makes a difference. Yeah. So hey, I am uh, very happy to know that so many people are going to be learning about responsibility communication. <laughs> As you know, one of my have fun with it. Have fun. All
0: and right. hi we to everybody to there who I
3: um may have may know and um blessings to everybody. So I'll, I'll sign off now. And, okay, uh, we appreciate but, you
2: holding the space for us. Absolutely
3: holding you all in love, yes. Okay, I'll we listen. return
2: the favor. Okay, mm-hmm. bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. So our calling number is 646-200-4169. And by the way, if you have a discovery like that that you've made, we'd love to hear it reason we love to hear it is because somebody out there needs to hear it. Maybe me, maybe Jeannie, maybe Dr. Tim, maybe Rex, maybe Michelle, and all the regular participants in the show. And, you know, over the years, I've learned so much from the people who dig and do their work and and find pieces of it that never occurred to me. And so sharing what uh, your original discoveries are for you, even if you've heard me say it, sharing it is something that makes it available to more people and oftentimes for those who perhaps made the discovery opens a new level of discovery for those individuals, me, Jeannie Tim, everybody that's included so we appreciate all the input that we get from everyone on the planet and it's uh, it's an awesome gift to be sharing this around the globe I've been doing some processing with a young man from northern India uh, over Facebook and it's pretty cool to watch, you know, there's some he actually lives in Nepal and uh, there've been some crazy stuff happening there I guess politically and he seems to be rather than being distraught about it, I guess there are things happening in the community that impact him very directly and that could easily bring one to the brink of their internal distraught states, and he seems to be just rolling with it and handling the energy and moving forward in his life. So pretty cool to do and to be sharing this around the globe. And in fact, we're having a, a conversation about him translating the book into the Nepalese language, which would be pretty sweet. And every language that the book has been translated in, by the way, it's available for free on our website except the, the Swedish. The uh the Swedish publisher decided they didn't want to put it online free because they thought it would cost some money. And so that's a uh a hardback book that you can buy. We do have them available. And actually we're working on it. I need to get back to work. It's just one more of those plates that needs to spin back in touch with the uh, Swedish publisher because I think our publishing contract's expired and we've been talking with them about getting the material back and uh, moving forward. Taking this work to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. So if you have a question for us, a thought, anything happening in the chat room, Jeannie, that I should be aware of or So if we triggered a question for you. We've got a hand up. Let's go for it. Hey,
1: okay, it's area code nine oh one. You're on the air. Hey there. Is
4: this
1: is Shanda? probably Brenda. Yeah, it is
4: Brenda. And Hey there, uh, young lady. Hey, how are you doing? A very interesting insight this morning when I was doing some worksheets uh, yesterday it we um, found that I had a whole afternoon free. And
2: you had your your voice is really hard to hear. I don't know if you're up close to your microphone, but usually it works better if you stay close to your microphone.
4: Can you hear it now?
2: There you go. You just cleared up. Okay.
4: All right. So I had a free afternoon and fusion because even though I there were a, probably a hundred things I could do, I could not figure out which to start with. And it was just a weird feeling for me, very frustrating. But then I, my friend called and asked if I wanted my ta- some time with my grandchild say they set it out for a couple of weeks, so I was over and did that. Anyway, this morning when I woke up, my brain was blind, completely blind. There was not, I couldn't find a spot in it anywhere. And to back up a little bit, I've been doing the last uh, four lessons in Course in Miracles. Uh, I think it's 29, 30, 31, 32, and 32, which is Are you, about-
2: Brenda? Brenda? Yes. Are, you, are yes. you still in the same place with your microphone? Because you're kind of wavering in and out a little bit.
4: Okay, how about now?
2: Go ahead.
4: you hear me now? All
2: right.
4: Yeah. So i have be reading the Course in Miracle Lessons, which um, talk about looking at um, the world a different way, uh, looking at a meaningless world, looking at each situation a different way. So when I woke up this morning, my brain was just blank, couldn't think of anything. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And the confusion wasn't really there like it was yesterday, but it was just blank. So I thought, all right, let me do a worksheet on blank. And so I pulled out the quick, the fast worksheet and did the worksheet on the concern about my brain just being blank. And I can't. I don't have the worksheet with me, so I have no. I, I do not recall what my goal was on it. But as you go through the worksheet, one of the questions at the end is to. Oh, I know what I had. One of the concerns was that I was losing grip on reality, and mm-hmm. I've heard that term throughout my life. I think, uh, are you losing your grip on reality? So I wrote that mm-hmm. down. And I wrote my goal and asked, canceled the goal, then went to the uh, sentence that says, um, ask, ask Ruka Dukucha to uh, let you know what you should know about this um, worksheet and about this issue. And so I went into the quiet space and just, you know, thought, all right, maybe something will come into this blank mind.
0: <laughs> and...
4: It took a few minutes and then the response I got was, exactly, that's what you've been working on. You're supposed to be releasing your grip on the reality that you've been doing all these worksheets on. So, right, exactly. It switched from a negative connotation of losing or a fear of losing grip on reality and celebrating the fact that, wow, wow. Maybe I am finally losing that grip on reality that I've been doing all the work. Right. That was my comment.
2: Mm. Powerful. And, you know, just as a foundation for people who may not be familiar with the work and the idea that what the world has taught us, the pictures in our head are actually just us looking out through a set of windows on what's happening in the world is completely, absolutely, and totally false. The pictures in our head are products of what's going on inside of us. And sometimes the things going on inside of us match or sort of match what's happening out there. So people say, well, you've got a grip, and, and you're real, and you're on it. And if it's based in hostility or fear, you don't need a grip on that. It's like time to get done with that and to create from a different space. So... That could be a f- powerful place to be, and, and of course, you've heard me say it how many times. You've got to be out of your mind. You've got to be out of your mind. You've got to be out of your mind, and that's well, that the idea of the work is that, you know, putting it, and it ties back into Magda's uh, conversation about you want to be in a different mind than the mind of the body.
4: Well, it's, uh, if you, it's interesting, definitely, and the next message that I got was to just relax into it, and if... Um, the mind right. wanted to blank, just let it stay blank, relax into it, um enjoy the feeling, and continue doing the lesson today, which is I can look at the world differently or um so that's what I've been doing but um yeah it was really, it was kind of an interesting moment.
2: very cool, very powerful and And exactly what the whole goal of the work is, is to ultimately be out of your mind, to be free of the perceptual limits of a nine-bit mind and to be in a higher mind that can then guide us as to what's really important, what we are really capable of and support us in being who we really are as the presence of love. Having a grip on the reality of a world that's based in hostility or fear when you understand that that's not the actual world, that it's just a perceptual world that many people have promoted and kind of uh, you know, bamboozled others into joining to uh, to be able to let go, and that's pretty powerful, pretty sweet.
4: That followed uh, a couple of days ago, the um, work with a worksheet, and moving and shifting from, survival mode to that of living. And I realized that uh, my entire life has been in survival mode since I was six years old. And so that was a nice uh, wake-up to differentiate Mm -hmm. between the survival mode and the living mode.
2: Right. One of my early mentors used to say that A hundred million million people live and die every century and never even know that they've lived. And what you're describing is actually stepping back into human life, which in some circles would be called a rebirth. And it's much more real than saying magic words. It's really truly starting to live from perception based in love and being rather than perception based in hostility and fear. And it's certainly a different way in and there'll be people in the world who will want to crank up the heat to force you back into the old ways of perceiving.
4: well, I think so um, and it'll be interesting to see because learning to live is not a, fam- a familiar Learning to live without surviving is not really a familiar habit, so I'm right. Of- will be happening and I will sign
2: off now and let someone else do a call in. All right. Love and blessings. We appreciate you.
1: Thanks for Have
2: everybody. an awesome day. That made me
1: think of uh, get mute because it's echoing.
2: Okay. But your you need to hit your mute button too. Okay. Right. Gotcha.
0: gotcha.
1: So that made me think of something that was brought up in class this morning. Um in regards to when she said, talked about living and one of her participants shared that they realized that they finally were living, that they weren't dead. So that's similar to that. And then we have a question in the chat room. Uh, they said they understand, um, they're a little bit confused about it, but they understand how hostility and fear um and that those states, we can overcome it through understanding. But sadness, how does that fit in? And I asked the question, I said, fill in the blank if you look at a situation where you experience sadness. I feel sad because I think blank. And so they thought for a minute and they filled in and said, I feel sad because my children are growing up and moving out. I became an empty nester a couple of days ago and I'm happy for them and all that they have accomplished and their joy, but I miss having them around. I don't know what the thought is, though. I just miss my kids being around day to day. So first of all, yesterday's uh, radio show talked about sadness, missing, and loss. So you might also want to go back and listen to that. But, um, Michael, would you present to that?
2: Well, I think that oftentimes the culture promotes us. Living through our children and not having a life outside of that. So when the children move on, and 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 so often, parents try to keep a grip on their kids and control of their kids, rather than creating a launching pad for them to to go into the world and to uh, to make their own way and create their own lives, because they've been living vicariously, which means they haven't really been living. It's right back to the you know the comment earlier about, gee, I'm really alive, and so my input to you would be that the worksheets I'd be working on is my sadness, my grief, and my loss. And as I forgive that, what will tend to come in to replace it would be your own awesome active state of being love. You know, we, we sometimes are taught to give up love to care for someone. As though caring for someone is love Caring for someone is a loving thing to do But it's not love And so oftentimes in the busyness of caring We can forget to be the truth of who we are as love And if my children were in my life Or out of my life at any given moment If I'm living as a human being I will be the full presence of love Whether they're there or they're not there But if I've been living through them, that is, playing out this game that my life depends on my caring for them and their caring back for me, then I've given up my state of being for a program loop running in my mind. As I forgive that program loop, what will replace it is this exciting cutting-edge, present-moment, physiological experience and expression of love that I'm designed to live from as a human being. That's where we're each designed to live 24-7, 365, but oftentimes we get into roles, ego roles, you know, a parent, a caretaker. You know, oftentimes a, uh, a man will lose his identity and, well, I'm a, a provider, then nobody on the planet is designed to be a provider. We're designed to be human beings who may take on the task of being a provider, but we're not providers. but if we buy that as an identity and then one retires all of a sudden, provider as an identity having collapsed is like and and it, and it's it's kind of sad because. One of the highest levels of suicide is in older people. And I think oftentimes because they're not their being provider doing their job and they're like, well, now what do I do? Who am I? Instead of living out of being and if what I'm doing today is providing for my family, I'm a being providing. I'm not a provider. I'm a being caring for my children I'm not caring for my children. I'm a um, a mom or a dad. I'm a spouse. I'm a being being a spouse with my spouse. I'm not a spouse. So if we bought, buy those false identities, there is sensation from fulfilling the role, and that becomes kind of a cheap substitute for having a life. And, you know, you've heard in the culture even, say, get a life, get a life. So when I discover the truth of who I am, and oftentimes the place I'll discover that is through forgiveness, then I'll experience myself as who I am, as this awesome presence of love, and whatever role I happen to take on is the role that I happen to take on, but I'm a being first. The other is doing, you know, with the uh codependence, the workshop that we're about to do in the uh, intensive here, we talk about the pseudo-solutions of the non-being mind. And one of the pseudo-solutions is, if I could just do it right, or if I could just do enough, then I'd be okay. And we've been convinced by the world that we're supposed to be human doings, and so we go off doing, and as long as somebody's applauding us and patting us on the back, or we feel good about that role, then it's, it's almost like we've got a life, but there's no life in it. And when the role goes away, it seems that life glows away. So my offering would be your task, should you choose to do it, is now to restore yourself to human life presence of or out of the presence of your children so that you are a fresh, alive, cutting-edge, moment-to-moment, live being that experiences the physiological presence of love 365, just because that's what you are. And that's what each of us is. And we tend to lose our lives to the roles we play. So that would be my input on that topic. Does that make sense to our listener? Are there any other comments? And or, you know, it's a great conversation if if you've got a phone accessible. And you want to dial in at six four six two hundred four one six nine and push one then we could carry on the conversation. If there any if there's anything about what I said that doesn't make sense or makes sense and you'd like more clarity on it or maybe you have some other thoughts to share, then dial the number, hit one, and we'll be having a conversation. Any response in the chat room, sweetie?
1: Yes. Um came came back and said maybe in time I think it's going to take some time but I do understand that feeling of not being complete now because the kids are being gone. And someone else said that's a beautiful response. I received the essence of your communication. It's reverberating in my soul.
2: Fabulous. And we're here for a wake-up call in every situation where we've been trained by the world, trained by our family systems to give up our human lives, to give up living as that sweet presence of love and to consciously, purposely bring our being, bring the truth of who we are to every moment. And the the tendency to fall into an automaton's role, you know, even the person who does the greatest job of whatever the job is, whether it's rearing children or in a factory or in an office or whatever it is, that if if we're not constantly on guard and constantly awake, there can be a falling out of being into the role as an identity and that, Non-being role, I love the word ego, if you make an anacronym out of it, it's E-G-O, is edging God or love out. And that's what that non-being mind does, is it edges out, removes us from the true presence of functioning as real, honest-to-God human beings. And, And again, hold a newborn child if you forget what that human beingness is. It is that sweet, awesome presence of love that is just... It's our human design and what we're here to experience 24-7-365. And the world has become so complex, so hostile, hostility and fear-filled, so trapped in busyness, It's easy to lose awareness of ourselves as humans. And we're here to remind you. And of course, if we remind you, we remind ourselves. And the next time the tendency is to get lulled into a sense of non-beingness, it's like, oops, oh yes, that's right. I want to stay awake. I want to stay constantly awake and not fall asleep in this role. And it's so easy to fall asleep. Staying awake is quite an interesting project. So once again, if you're one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, if you dial 646-200-4169, you'll be having a conversation with us. And a conversation with the community people from all over the globe who are about really, truly learning the ancient Aramaic tool, in particular, of first century Aramaic forgiveness. And that is the tool of how do you reach in and remove hostility, fear, sadness, grief, rage, drama, trauma, any role you've ever played. How do you remove that so that, you know, and and these things, these roles are designed to be servants. They're they're designed to serve us. You go back into the ancient Aramaic and yes, you were talking about the master bound by the servants in his own household. And that's exactly what's happened to most of us, is the things that were there to serve us all of a sudden become our masters. You know, it's kind of like government of the people, for the people, by the people. In which universe does that happen? In which universe when the community of people spoke out and said, Mr. Government, this is what we want, When was the last time when Mr. Government wanted it done this way that they listened? You know, it's been forgotten that this is supposed to be a servant, not a master. And whenever the non-being mind becomes your master, its results will be despicable, just like with governments. When we wake up, you keep the servants in servant status, you keep the master in master status, then you've got something that works. And the true state of being love is the master. It's where the creative process is designed to come from. But but we have this such a huge and massive database of information from the generations that it's hard not to get lost in the complexity of it, the energy moving there, especially in a mind where there's hostility and fear. So it is an interesting process, an interesting project to wake up and to really truly function as love, because that's what you're designed for. Six four six two hundred four one six nine. I'm not sure exactly where our time is. What have we got happening here? We're down to about six minutes, so there's time for a question. If anybody has a thought to share, we'd love to hear your voice. Push one, and there's no waiting. You'll be next in queue. And if if you'd been at a conference, if uh, we were doing this presentation in a local university or a local library or a local church in your town and you were at the presentation, and I said what I've said so far in the show today, when I came down off the platform, what would be your question? What would you be walking over to me and saying, Michael, what about, that's the question we want, that's. And we'd like to have it go up. Someone has a question that keeps us in intact and on track with where we're heading with these tools. And again, the word forgive meaning to remove, nothing to do with to let off the hook. So if I'm capable of some form of hostility or fear, there is no forgiving of someone for bringing that up in me. I may choose to pardon them if their behavior has been off base and they brought that up in me, but I apply forgiveness to remove that from me so that I get free of it. And so if we can be of support and you push one, you'll be next in the phone queue. No waiting. We're on rock and roll. 646-200-4169. Is our calling number, how can we support you?
1: um I'll, we don't have a caller, but uh, oh, he was on phone.
0: <laughs>
1: So but I've been commenting back to uh the person who uh was feeling sadness about their kids moving away, and I said, you know we we may give up that role of who we've identified with, but we'll always be the mom. And so that part doesn't change. And, you know, I understand that um, feeling of of being at a distance. And I actually, you know, told her I do a lot of wake-up sheets about being on the road and not being able to see him but two or three times a year. But, you know, we're always the mom. We're always, I think, being that space ties us even closer to our kids and, you know, Ryan and I have such an awesome relationship anyway. Um, so I think the, the isolation and sadness and all that, I mean, it's just on self. We do it to ourself. And um, we create our own cage that we put ourselves in. And so I hold the space for you, Tiger, to let that go. And um, please come back on the show more often and let's talk. And even if it's just in the chat room, we're here to support you in that.
2: And, of course, the number one tool, if I've lost my identity in a role that I play, is the tool of forgiveness, that reality management or wake-up sheet, which, if you haven't accessed it before, go to the website, whyagain.org, And really seriously, take this piece of paper and start to use it. If you scroll down the page to the red and white bullseye and click on it, it will open a whole series of links. And that series of links will walk you through exactly how to engage in the forgiveness process. And as you engage in that forgiveness process, you take the wake-up sheet. One of the links will take you to the wake-up sheet and print it off. And fill in the blanks, and it takes you through a set of steps for how do I collapse a false identity so that the truth of who I am, I can be conscious of, I can be aware of, I can be in touch with. And it is just the most awesome and amazing tool. I know that having worked people through that worksheet for 35 years now, since we first created the early worksheet on it, it still amazes me 35 years later just how powerful it is when people engage in that tool that seems so innocuous and and in some cases seems silly at first, But when you start to use it, and and the impact of that tool is that it collapses the false. The whole idea of forgiveness is collapse the false so that you can drop into the level of mind underneath the false and bring the truth of who you are to it. And as that happens, the false simply begins to dissolve, and you get to be restored to the truth of who you are. If you're ready to take your journey in that regard to another level, on February the eighteenth we'll begin a sixteen day laws of living here in Orlando and we do have a couple of spaces if you're if you're interested in taking your work to the next level and tapping into this idea of laws of living and laws of living is not about a set of rules that we're going to give somebody here's how you have to live it's about a process by which you come into relationship with the eternal forces of the universe, so that you are supported as a human being, as the truth of who you are. So, if you're interested in doing that, come and join us. In the meantime, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com That's www.whyagain.com Evolving, continuously